Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Um, so, so today I wanna just spend a few moments um, talking to you um, in light of Thanksgiving. I wanna spend a few moments talking to you about, about Thanksgiving and just how we as Christians orient our lives to be lives um, compelled and driven and um, just undergirded with a spirit of thanksgiving. You know, I've been reading this book lately. Um, it's called uh, The High Five Habit by Mel Robbins. And uh, uh, no shade, it's okay, it's okay. Um, it's, it's, it's an okay book, uh, it talks about you know, giving yourself in the mornings, giving yourself a high five, um, just to kind of help activate positivity and positive energy in your life. That when you wake up and you look in the mirror, um, one of the first things that you should do is just have some affirmations that you speak over your life and that you should give yourself um, a high five when you, when you do that. Um, and that there's something from a psychological perspective, something fires in your brain when you give someone a high five. Like it's hard to give someone a high five and be upset. Right. Um, generally speaking, that 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 gesture of high fiving actually brings with it positive emotions and positive energy and positive thoughts. And so the idea behind this book, the high five habit, is that every day you should give yourself a, a high five. And I mean, it has some good principles. Something that she says in the book that I thought that I've heard before um, that I thought was very interesting is that she talks about this feat, this this function in your brain. I think it's called the RIS right? Where when you start to do something or when you start to say something, you actually start to notice it more and more in your life. Have you ever heard of that, that, that phenomenon before? Um, it, it's almost like this. So, so, so recently my wife and I, we decided to get a new car. And so we got a Tesla and we got a white one and it's a beautiful car. We love it. Um, but as soon as we got the car, guess what happened? We started seeing everyone else with the exact same car. Literally, uh, we were driving to church today. We pulled up just next to someone who was the exact same car. I looked across and I told my daughter, I said, look, there's someone who's driving our exact same car. They said, yeah, that is our exact same car. There's a little bit dirtier than ours though, daddy. Uh, but it is this, the exact same car. And, it, and it's a phenomenon that happens in your brain that when you, if you say, man, I'm gonna start shopping around. I think I'm gonna get a, a red Toyota. That all of a sudden in your brain, something happens and you start seeing red Toyotas everywhere. Or you could say, man, I'm going to get a, a, a lime green hatchback. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to start seeing lime green hatchbacks everywhere you go. It's this feature in your brain that what you choose to focus on, you start to see more of. Are y'all with me in here? And so she uses this analogy. She says in her book, she says, you know, what I want you to do is I want you to draw, I think she says, I want you to draw a heart shape on a piece of paper. Just on a piece of paper, draw a heart, and I want you to focus on that heart. And so she has her people as they're reading, take, take a moment, draw a heart, and then to focus on that heart that you just drew on the piece of paper. And then she says, now when you go out throughout your day, I want you to actively be looking for hearts wherever you go. 
It could be a cloud in the sky that is shaped like a heart. It could be um, 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 a, a tree that is shaped like a heart. It could be a leaf falling from a tree that is shaped like a heart. I just want you to start looking for hearts. And sure enough, I was listening to the book one day while I was running, and she had just talked about that. I'm running down my street, Trina, and I'm running, just trying to get some exercise in. And I look down, and there was broken glass. Someone like broke a mirror on the side of the road. And I look down, and guess what I found? A heart. It was a piece of the mirror shaped. Now, it really wasn't shaped like a heart for real, for real, for real. But in my mind and in my brain, I saw it kind of like outlying a similar structure of that of a heart. And I kept running and I started looking at the trees as I was running by them. And out of nowhere, I started seeing heart shapes everywhere. And it's this phenomenon that happens that what you choose to focus on, you start to see more and more. And so when you're going through your life, I think about Thanksgiving and, and what am I, I, am, I am grateful for and thankful for. And I start to realize that, wow, Seth, if you are, if you are every day leaning into to joy and every day leaning into gratitude and every day leaning into Thanksgiving, you will start finding the silver lining in your life. Even in the midst of a messed up situation, you'll begin to be able to orient your thoughts so that even when situations are not working out the way you would like them to work out, you'll see a thread of thanksgiving. You'll see something in that scenario, something in that situation, something in that day that allows you to come away and feeling like, wow, you know, I am actually grateful for this. I think about my last year, so many things to be thankful for. I'm thankful for this church and for the leadership and for the staff of this church and for the board of this church and our conference who allowed me and my family to take some time off this year. And we took three months during a sabbatical and I'm grateful. And I thank you all for giving us that opportunity and that privilege of taking those three months off. It was, it was nourishment for our soul. I think about other things that I'm, I'm grateful for and just having a, a very clear sense of calling and clarity in my own life as far as where God is taking me, where God is leading my family. I'm just so grateful for the friends that God has surrounded me with, both within this congregation and without, outside of this congregation, colleagues of mine and friends that I grew up with who I'm still close to. Just so grateful for having family that's nearby. My sister's moved here recently. And to be able to have family that's nearby, it's such, it's just, we're just honored and we're truly blessed. And, and, and I think about, as I was reflecting this week on my own personal Thanksgivings, I said to myself, where does my relationship with God come into my Thanksgivings? And it forced me to, to look at the word in Romans in chapter five. And I want to draw your attention there in Romans in chapter five. Because Paul says something that I think is so interesting in Romans chapter five that can really help us to just really think through our lives as a, a life of gratitude and thanksgiving, no matter what's going on, right? And has anyone else in here ever had a kind of a rough week, the last couple of weeks, any rough weeks in the house? Okay, so we got a few who are bold enough to raise their hands and say, yeah, my life wasn't as I would have hoped it to be, but, but I wanted to try to kind of help you kind of connect some dots between where you are right now and possibly what God is trying to do in your life. So in Romans chapter five, I love how Paul says it. Paul says, therefore, say therefore, therefore, Paul says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have what? We have peace. We have peace with God. We have peace with God because of what Jesus, our Lord, has done for us. Now let's just stop right there. Paul is saying to us, listen, 
as you go through this life and you're grateful for your family and you're grateful for your, for your job and you're grateful for the food that was on your table and the, and the, and the health that you have and, and you're grateful for all of the many blessings that you have, never forget that, that above and beyond all of that, there should be an overwhelming sense of gratitude for what God has done for us. Do I got a witness in the house? That above and beyond everything else, above the, the house and the cars and the jobs and the security and the family and the friendship, above and beyond all of that, there should be this, this overwhelming sense that I am so grateful for what God, what, what, what God has done for us because through Christ and through the blood of Christ, I am now at peace with God. Now, this is the challenge that you and I experience is that the longer we live life, especially as Christians, we begin to distance ourselves from the reality of what Christ has done for us. If I can, we just talk about it for a little bit. So I can say, yeah, I'm grateful for, you know, my wife and my family and my kids and for what God has done in my life in this area and this, in this area. But for some reason, there is like this phenomenon where because we've heard Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, you know, because we read uh, uh, John 3, 16, for God's love the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because we've read that text so many times, it's almost as if it loses its sense of relevance and potency and and kind of awareness in our lives. But Paul says, never forget, never, never, never forget that where you are right now is actually a manifestation or an extension of God's grace. Right now, sitting here, as, as bad as your life might appear to be, you got trouble in your home, you got trouble in your finances, things aren't working out for you on your job, it seems like all hell's breaking loose. Even in this situation, your life is still an extension. Your life is still a manifestation of the grace of God upon you. Because Paul says, he says, therefore, since we have been made right, in God's sight. I might not be right with my spouse. I may not be right with my kids. I may not be right with my job. I may not be right with anybody else. But I know that because of what Christ has done for me, I am made right in God's sight. And I can have peace. He says, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Now, verse 2. He says, because, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. I don't know what you feel when you hear that word, those words, undeserved privilege. Some of you might feel like, well, undeserved privilege is if, like I won, the, if I won the lottery. That's undeserved privilege, right? If I got an inheritance from a, from a great uncle who uh, no one knew about, but he left it just to me, that's undeserved privilege. But what Paul is saying is that understand that your position in life right now in Christ because of faith, that you right now, that you have been brought into a place that your position is one of undeserved privilege, where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to God, to sharing God's glory. He says, you are in a position of undeserved privilege. Does your life feel like undeserved privilege? Come on now, be honest with yourself. 
talk to me. Does your life feel like one where you can look around and you can say, man, God has just been so good to me that you can literally look at every dimension of your life, your family, your finances, your children, your job, and you feel privileged beyond that which you deserve. I, I think for many of us, oh man, our life might not necessarily feel like undeserved privilege. I think some of us, maybe our lives feel like undeserved problems. <laughs> like God, I didn't deserve that, right? That, 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 that's, that, that husband you gave me, I didn't deserve that, God. God's like, hey, I tried to not give him to you, but you just, you wanted him badly. So now you got all of him and his problems. Like we look around, I, I think some of us, if we're not careful, we will, we will look at our lives as though our lives are riddled with, with undeserved problems. God, I did not deserve this situation in my job. I did not deserve the situation with my kids. God, I did not deserve the situation in my finances. God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? And what, Christ, what Paul is trying to remind us of is that your life, as messed up as it might appear to be to you, your life, in fact, is not one of undeserved problems. Your life is, in fact, one of undeserved privilege. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And that Christ has brought you into this position now where you are at one and have peace with God. How do we get from undeserved problems to seeing our life as undeserved privilege? Let me ask you all this question. Was Christ on the cross was that privilege or a problem? Christ on the cross, was that privilege or was that problem? Because I think what I do, and you may be guilty of it as well, is that we associate suffering with problems. So the more suffering, and the more pain and the more headache and the more frustration, the more problems, right? But Christ did not associate suffering with problems. Christ associated suffering with privilege. And Paul understood this very acutely so that when Paul steps into the text and he's telling us that, listen, yeah, though you might be locked up as he was locked up and though you might be shipwrecked as he was shipwrecked and though you might be beaten as he was beaten and though you might be going through all types of drama in your family, in your home and with your health, understand that all of the things that you are very quick to place in the problem category, Paul is like, no, 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 baby, that's not problems. That is privilege. Why? Because I'm talking to a group of Christians. I'm talking to a group of believers and believers should fundamentally understand that everything that they go through is an extension of the grace and mercy and, and, and life of Christ. So the believer is able to say, if I have to suffer, then I will suffer boldly and courageously and proudly because I recognize that I am actually following in the inheritance of those who have come before me. My Christ suffered, the apostles suffered. So who am I now to not have to go through some situations and not feel like, uh, or feel like, like it's a problem for me. When Paul says, no, it's not a problem. That the life that you're living and the challenges that you have are not problems, but they are privilege. Can you look at your frustrations and say, thank you, Lord. 
Can you look at the difficulty and the frustration and the annoyances and say, thank you. Thank you. Ah, it's tough, I think, if I'm honest with myself. We think about when your kids wake you up all throughout the night. Anybody that has that happened to besides my wife and I? If you got kids, they wake you up all night long. And if we're not careful, we'll look at that as a problem. But really, it's a privilege because we have children to love. And there are so many families, some maybe even in this house today, who wish they had children to love. And so if you are fortunate enough to have your kids wake you up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Or a house to clean. Think about the, the mess of your house and you have to clean your house. We, we're quick to look at that as a, as a problem, an annoyance and a frustration. But let's possibly reframe that situation as not a house to clean with problems, but a safe place to live. Privilege. And there's other situations that we find ourselves in. Anyone in here hate doing laundry besides myself? Yeah, yeah, I got a few witnesses. And so we look at laundry as, Lord, why do I got to do all this laundry, right? Like you didn't wear the clothes. <laughs> like you, and we mad because we got to do all this laundry and it's a problem. But I think laundry is actually a privilege that we actually have clothes to wear. And that you don't got to wear the same drawers every single day. Come on now, <laughs> up in here. That you're not out back, uh, old school. Anybody know? We all too young up in this place. Old school with the washing board. I don't even know. I don't even know. I'm just testifying what someone told me, right? With the basin, right? Anybody used to get this, uh, the, what they call the clothesline? Anybody? Okay, and Pat got, she got the clothesline in the back, right? And you hope it don't rain on your clothes, right? And now you just throw them things in the dryer and push start, right? And, and pr privilege, privilege. I mean, the, the, list, the, list, the list goes on when you think about it. Like, like something that annoys me to death is my daughter sit at the countertop and there's three chairs and, and, and inevitably when they're done eating, half of their food will be on the floor. And I have to come behind and have to sweep up broccoli and carrots and crackers and crumbs. And it's a problem, but is it really a problem? Or is it, is it the privilege of having a family to feed and a family to love? If we're not careful with, our, with how we view our lives, we will take things that God has really blessed us with and we will move them from the privilege category to the problem category. And we will live from a place of frustration because we feel as though that these problems are somehow impeding upon our conveniences and impeding upon our, our comfort when Christ is really saying like, listen, you're just following the steps that I actually laid out for you and everything that you're complaining about and frustrated about is actually a privilege if you choose to frame it differently. Grocery shopping, I was telling um, ladies out front at our connections tent that I hate grocery shopping. And um, someone said Instacart, amen, somebody, right? The problem of having to fight through crowds at the grocery store, but yet the privilege of not having to go out there and grow my own groceries. I've got a witness in the house. Oh, y'all, y'all must be growing, you're growing your bread. You got wheat in your backyard. You, you making tortillas handmade, huh? 
Yeah, it's privilege. Toilets to clean. Does anyone here enjoy cleaning toilets? Yeah, okay. (laughs) I would rather that than others. The problem of toilets to clean versus the privilege of having indoor plumbing. Do I have a witness in the house? Oh, you would prefer to go dig a hole in the backyard. Okay. So, so, so we, have to be, we have to be very, very careful. My daughter is on the way here. Whenever they get into a car, they feel it's their duty to scream at the top of their lungs. And I have extremely sensitive ears. I don't like loud noises. And I will quickly look back at them and give them the stare of death. If you've ever seen that before, I will give them the stare of death. And they know very quickly to bring it in. But even this on the way to church today, as they were screaming in the car and I turned back and gave them the stare of death, I had to kind of reframe and say, yes, but, but, but you have joy in your house. And they are happy and enjoying themselves. Like, yeah, but they don't, don't got to be so loud, God. But we are quick to take privileges and to frame them as problems. When Paul says, listen, everywhere you are right now, you are in a position of undeserved privilege because of what Christ has done for you. And that you recognize, and I'm not talking to unbelievers, I'm talking to Christians in the house of God. You recognize that your life is an extension of the grace of God. Your life is an extension of the suffering of God. Your life is an extension of the pain that Christ went through. You now have the privilege to follow suit in that same vein. Let me show you where he really says it. It's in Colossians chapter one. In Colossians chapter one, Paul says, verse 24, he says, I I, I am, he says in verse 24 of Colossians chapter one, he says, I want you to know, I want you to know, uh, and this is from the New Living Translation. He says, I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. Right, so this is Paul talking from the New Living Translation, Colossians chapter one. I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into this world, the kind of suffering Christ takes on. Or he says it this way, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ. Now, as I was reading this, I said, man, I don't quite understand what Paul is trying to illustrate to us until I read it in the, I think it was the New King James Version. In the New King James Version, verse 24, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Read it again. I rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. Uh, Izzy, could you help me real quick? Just, just real quick, real quick, real quick. Real, yes, just come on up, come on up. I, I, I want to try to, I want to try to illustrate this. Uh, so, so, so Izzy is just going to real quick. He's going to represent Christ for us, right? And and this and this little cup of water represents um, the affliction of Christ. It represents him dying on the cross for us and everything that he went through for us and how he gave his life and he suffered for us. And so Christ, uh, Izzy, if you wouldn't mind, I don't know if you're thirsty, but could you just for illustrative purposes, could you just drink that for me? It's clean, not in the, all, the whole thing, right? So this is Christ and Christ is, Christ is literally, he is taking the affliction. And he has, he has fully on the cross, died for our sins. He is totally drunk. In fact, in fact, um, I think it's in Matthew where, where Christ says that, 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 that he has to drink of this cup. 
the, 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 the wrath of God, that he has to drink of this cup. And so Izzy has, come on, come on over here a little bit closer. So Izzy has taken, Christ has taken, and he's drunk this cup of affliction, of suffering, of inconvenience, of pain, of, of all of those things that we spend the rest of most of our lives trying to avoid. And then what Paul is trying to communicate to us is that Paul then, because he sees that Christ has just drunk in this cup, Paul says, well, I have a cup too. But Paul says, uh, but my cup is empty. Meaning that I have not yet taken or filled up the cup of my affliction because I want my cup to reflect the same cup that Christ had. And so what Paul says in verse 24 is Paul's like, you know what? Um, I now rejoice in my suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. And so Paul is like, listen, let me fill up my cup so that when suffering and when pain and when trouble happens, I'm okay with it. I will take it like a man. I will take it on the chin. I will take it like someone who's mature because I recognize that I am just literally not trying to do something above what Christ has done. I am just filling up so that I can look at the life of Christ and I can see, man, my Christ suffered for, for me. Who am I to now say that I should not suffer for others? So I now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in the flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul says, I'm okay going through things because I recognize that my cup is just an extension of his cup and that if I suffer with him, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be in glory with him. Now, thank you, Izzy. Now, now, now I recognize that if you preach on suffering too much, folk are not going to come back, Ms. Sheila. Because y'all like, listen, pastor, I hear you. Good word. But this, this ain't the word for me right now. I'm the season of my life. I need some relief. I need some joy. I need some happiness. I need, I need something that's going to deliver me from this suffering because my cup is filled and overflowing. Do I have a witness in the house? I want to I give you that. I, I want to read from the message. Candace, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't have the message in there. I should have. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 is not going to read. It's the same on the screen. He says, I want you to hear this. He says, I want you to know, and this is from the message version. I want you to know, verse 24, how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail, not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into this world. The kind of suffering Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in the church's part of that suffering. Paul's like, next man up. My turn to suffer, let's go. Because I'm following the life of Christ because my life is an extension of Christ. He says, when I became a servant in this church, I experienced this suffering as a sheer gift. Let me read it slow. I'm sorry it's not on the screen. When I became a servant in this church, I experienced this suffering as a sheer gift. God's way of helping me serve you, laying out the whole truth. So from Paul's perspective, Paul is like, I, I occupy a place of undeserved privilege as it pertains to my relationship with God. So anything that I go through in this life, any hardship, any frustration, any annoyance, whether it's directly connected to the church or not, any type of, 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 of situations that might cause frustration, Paul says, I recognize it as an opportunity. I, I view it as a sheer gift. It is my privilege to suffer. Now, 
that's a word for the mature folk. That's a word for the, for the folk who are like, you know what, I'm ride or die like Christ, let's, let's go. But that's a word for us who God, I think God is trying to move us to a place where our lives are not so tossed back and forth based off of momentary frustration. But in the moment of that frustration, we can begin to reframe and see how, yeah, while there may be some annoyance in this situation, this situation is still privilege. It's still an opportunity for me to revel in the gift that God has given me, a position in Christ, undeserved privilege. And this is how Paul reconciles it, I think, in my mind, how he reconciles it. Because he says in Colossians chapter 1, he keeps going, he says, I have basically been given this opportunity to to, to engage in this, uh, in this, um, in this uh, suffering as a gift so that I can try to help others. Uh, Christ suffered for me, so now I'm suffering for others because I want to help people get connected to Christ. And then he says this. He says, the mystery has been kept in dark for a long time, but now it's out. The secret. Now it's out, and it's in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret. Now, y'all ready? Y'all ready for the secret? Are y'all ready? You ready? Ready for the secret? I'm going to give it to you. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. This it is. Here it is. Here it is. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ in, Christ is in you. Christ is in you. He says, so therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. The way that Paul was able to orient his life around gratitude and thanksgiving, even though he was shipwrecked, even though he was beaten, even though he was stoned, even though he was left abandoned, even though he's, been, he's gone without food and shelter, even though he's, been, he's had a hard life, the way that Paul is able to reconcile all of that as a gift and, sheer, and, and, have, and have sheer understanding that he's in a position of privilege is Paul recognizes through it all, Christ is in me. Do you know that Christ is in you? Like, do you know it? That Christ is actually living inside of you. So, so, so when you go through life and mess, you have that, that, that fallback understanding that, listen, Christ is in me, so I can go through hardship. And I can go through difficulty and I can go through problems and I can see them not as problems, but I can see them as privilege because Christ is the one who is actually inside of me and he is girding me and strengthening me and leading me so that, so that though I might go through these problems, these problems won't crush me. And these problems, they won't, they won't, they won't destroy me, but, but Christ is actually inside of me. That is the mystery. Christ is in you. Now, pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I don't care. I, I don't feel, I don't feel like Christ is in me. Anyone ever said that? I don't feel, anyone can relate to that? Uh, let me see your hands. Anyone, I don't feel like Christ is in me. Well, who, who cares about your feelings? I didn't feel like coming to church today. Guess what? 
I'm here. I didn't feel like getting up yesterday. Guess what? I had to get up. I didn't feel like taking out the trash two days ago. Guess what? I had to take out the trash. Listen, I didn't, I, there's a whole lot of things I don't feel like doing. But the truth of the matter is, even though you might not feel like Christ is in you, I want you to know that Christ is in you. And that Christ being in you is not based on a feeling. So he's in me. If I feel like he's in me, he's out of me. If I feel like he's not in me and, and I'm going back and forth. No, what Paul is saying is that there is a mystery, that, that this mystery isn't just reserved for Jews. It doesn't matter what your background is. You could be someone who's, who, who has been far from God. You could be someone who grew up in the church. It doesn't matter. But that when you accept Christ, Christ is saying, listen, Christ is now in you. And Christ being in you is, in fact, the hope of your glory. So therefore, you can press on and endure through trials and tribulations and hardships and headaches. And you can, you can, you know, you ever remember that song with Jesus in the, in the vessel, I can smile at the storm? I'm not going to sing it because Izzy ain't on the keys and he's going to have a hard time finding, finding my key. With, with, with Jesus, with Jesus in the vessel, I can smile at the storm. I can smile at the storm, smile at the storm. With Jesus in the vessel, I can smile at the storm. It's, it's trying to communicate as a small VBS Sabbath school song. It's trying to communicate to us this eternal truth is that when you understand fundamentally that Christ is living inside of you, every day you can wake up and you really can give yourself a high five because no matter what you're facing or going through or going to have to endure, you know that you are not having to do it on your own. That you have a friend who sticks closer to a brother, who will keep you and guide you, that he will keep you in a, in a state of perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. We talked about that last week, that he will keep you in this position where you understand that, yeah, I got some struggles and I got some headaches, but I am beyond privilege. Why? Because I know that I have peace with God. And because I have peace with God, God is going to work out all these situations for me. And I don't have to fight my battles anymore because Christ is in me. Now, I'm almost done. Listen, I think we know it up here, some of us, but then we start finding ourselves in those tough situations and Christ doesn't come out of us. You ever cut somebody out? Don't raise your hand. That wasn't Christ. Yeah, it wasn't Christ. It wasn't Christ. That wasn't Christ in you. That was you in you. That was all you. Right. It's all right. It's all right. Cuss them out. It's okay. All right. But just know this, that after you're done cussing them out, guess what? You got to go back and say, you know what? I'm sorry, man. Listen, I just, you know, how, how can I make it right? Not, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't cuss them out. But if you, if you happen to slip up and say the thing that you shouldn't be saying, Christ in you then comes back and seeks to reconcile. Christ in you comes back and says, you know what? I'm better than this. Christ is in me. This is not the life that he has called me to live. He's called me to live a life of love and joy and peace. So that was, that was Seth. That wasn't Christ. I'm sorry. See, 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 we have to move to a point in our Christian life where the problems and the frustrations and the annoyances of life, that they don't, they don't elicit a negative or a knee-jerk response of flesh. But that because we recognize and we are pouring into the Christ in us, 
that when we find ourselves in the midst of frustration, we can say, it's all good. I'm, I will find something to be grateful for and thankful for in this situation because I recognize that I am operating and living right now in a place of undeserved privilege. It may not feel like it. It may not always feel like it. But where you are right now, if you've accepted Christ, you are in that place of undeserved privilege. My prayer for you, for us, is that we might be able to view the problems in our life and reframe those problems as privilege. And that, the, and, that, and that Christ in us would be the source that allows us to see life differently. That we would see our lives as we're going through the, the struggle and the challenge and the difficulty, that we would not respond to struggle with struggle, that we would not respond to difficulty with difficulty, that we would not respond to frustration with more frustration, but that we might be able to just just to recalibrate and say, you know what, I'm going through a rough time, but right now in this moment, God, I just want to give you thanks that you have blessed me with so much. And beyond all else, you have blessed me with an undeserved, privileged position in Christ. So my, may my life reflect that. May my life be one of gratitude and grace and thanksgiving. May I not live a life where I'm trying to eliminate all difficulty, but may I live a life where I leverage difficulty, God, for your glory. So I'm going through a hard time in my marriage. I'm going through a hard time with my finances. I'm going through a hard time in my job. God, where is your glory in this? Hear me now. God, where is your glory in this? How can I showcase your love? How can I let your grace shine? How can I allow your, 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 your spirit of humility to just radiate from me? God, may I always understand that it is Christ in me and that I am in a position of undeserved privilege. So we go through this week. We go out into this day. May we go out with with, with an acute awareness that in every situation we can find that silver lining and be grateful. You all with me in this place? Father, in the name of Jesus. Man, God, sometimes we're not careful. We can be so hard on ourselves because we feel like life isn't working out the way we desired it to or designed it to. And yet we are reminded in your word right now that Paul tells us that we, above and beyond all else, that we have peace with you, oh God. And that because we have peace with you, that we are in a position of undeserved privilege. And that because we are in this position of undeserved privilege, that may our entire life be framed as such. That when we experience the hardships and the difficulty and the frustrations of life, God, may our life be one where we see how you are moving and how you are working and, and what you're doing and what we can still be grateful for even in the midst of difficulty. It's hard. It's not natural. 
It only is totally Holy Spirit ordained. That's why we need Christ in us. That's why we need Christ in us. That's why, God, may we understand and accept and believe with all of our hearts that Christ is in us. Lord, there's someone right now under the sound of my voice who doesn't feel it. They don't, they don't believe it. They don't feel it. They don't believe it. They feel like their life has been too hard. There's been too much struggle. There's been too many fights. How can Christ possibly be in, in them? God, I just pray through your power of your Holy Spirit that you would step in and that you would show, open their eyes and show to them that you are in fact leading them, ordering their steps, that you are in fact present. May they acknowledge you when they find themselves in the midst of an argument this week, when they find themselves giving somebody a piece of their mind this week, God, would you please, would you please just be Christ in them? Would you show them and remind them that, that they don't have to fight their battles? Would you, would you help them to understand that they don't have to figure everything out? God, would you just help them to see that you are on their side, that you are with them and may your peace just keep them in the midst of the struggle. May they feel just a supernatural calm come over their hearts and their minds. And may that calm just ooze from their pores and from their spirit. Oh Lord, please be Christ in us. The hope of glory. This is our prayer. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen. Amen.